日本史学習に最高にもってこいのサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ美しい自然にあふれてる縄文時代から波乱万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょうでは早速日本史の世界へ Welcome back to the Samurai Archives podcast and part two of our discussion about our recent trips to Japan. I was in Japan probably about a year ago now.、Uh, my, my trip took me to Kumamoto first, and、uh, from there I did go up to Tokyo for a little while and then back to Kumamoto. But as far as the historical sites that I saw, the main one that I saw, of course, was Kumamoto Castle. And I've seen my fair share of castles, not a lot. But,、uh, my fair share, and I think as far as like the grounds go, I think Kumamoto Castle is probably the most impressive castle grounds that I've ever actually been to. Just space wise, and also as, as far as、uh, all of the, the, the castle walls and the foundations and just the, the sheer scope of it. You know, Osaka Castle used to be my number one as far as that kind of thing goes, just the grounds of Osaka Castle. But, you know, now having been to Kumamoto Castle, I'm, I'm pretty blown away. I was really impressed with it. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 Pretty well done. Yeah. And,、uh, you know, I didn't look too deep into the actual buildings themselves, so I'm not sure what are reconstructions or what aren't. Although,、uh, like we did talk about briefly, there is a lot of new construction there, you know, in, in like wood. And、uh, there's an underground, underground area that you can go through that has been built up with, in wood, and、uh, they, they rebuilt like palace corridors and rooms and that kind of thing. And,、uh, I do have my Flickr account. I have, I have a lot of the pictures up there, so I'll put a link to it so you can see. But,、uh, the inside is amazing. The, the, it, they basically rebuilt it as a traditional Japanese castle,、uh, with the, the paintings, the folding screens, the painted, painted walls, the golden walls.、Uh, it's, it, it's really impressive. Yes.、Yeah. I, I don't know the last time you were there. I don't know really how much, if anything, has changed, but that, that whole building out of the inside of the castle is really impressive. Yeah, I was there、um, in 2010 and they had just opened that up.、Uh, so I got to see it. I got to go a couple times and、uh, it, was, it, was, it was certainly impressive. And it, it's, it's very similar to what they've done at、uh, Nagoya Castle.、Uh, so I think this is a good trend that、uh, we're seeing with、uh, castles and how they're making them. You know, they're taking them a, a couple steps beyond where. Uh, you know, you're, they, they have been in terms of things to go and see. I, I'm not sure if other trends that I'm seeing, like the, the actor slash boy band slash girl band,、uh, versions of,、uh, Sengoku Daimyo and their retainers wandering around every castle. Yeah, I, I did notice they had the, uh, like the, the, the ninja and the sort of, like, I don't know. Uh, rejects from Final Fantasy VII. Yes. Wandering, wandering yes. the grounds. But,、um, yes. Yeah, I don't know what was up with that. But, yeah, and they were, there were a lot of them too. But, you know, the one thing about Japanese castles, like the grounds of the castles, which is sort of hard to convey to people who haven't been there, is it's almost like, like being in a park because it's, it's quiet. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot of nature and there's just a, not a lot of people walking around and you can just kind of wander around at your leisure and, It, it really reminds me of being in, in, in a park. You know, it's really, it doesn't strike me as like,、uh, oh, this is a tourist trap site where, you know, you get in a line and you're herded through the corridors and this and that. It's a lot more free and it's a lot more relaxing and it's a lot more natural than, than what you would possibly maybe expect. 
and uh, I think that goes for a lot of places, even uh, you know, yeah. even Osaka Castle in a, in a way. Although the inside of Osaka Castle is a little more touristy, I guess you could say. But the, the grounds of Osaka Castle, anyway, is you're free to wander around, and that's yeah, it's a lot a uh, lot different than I think people might expect. And I'm actually looking at the pictures of Kumamoto Castle right now, and uh, you know some of the see the underground corridors and just the uh, the walls. I, I remember when we came up to the castle. I'm sure you remember. There's a, a giant park outside the castle, like just a flat area. There's a parking lot area, and you can kind of see the castle complex in the distance, and it sort of takes up the entire horizon. And as you get closer, you you see the the walls of the castle are just ridiculous. I don't know what what would you say they're about 60 feet tall, give or take. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I also inside the uh, I have pictures of this also, but inside of Kumamoto Castle, they had a uh, like a scale model of the castle itself. Like made out of, I don't know, like popsicle sticks or something. <laughs> I'm not sure, but that was that was pretty amazing. It was pretty a large scale structure built inside the castle. Yes, um, I, and and it's pretty neat to see. Um, I think they do that a lot of places, but it's neat, neat to see what at its height it would have looked like, mm. and um, what uh, you know how the town is is built around it. And that's it's it's pretty cool. So. Yeah, I, I guess it is kind of on a higher point in the area, although the area tends to be kind of flat. But uh, it is pretty flat in Kumamoto. Yeah, although uh, you know, as far as uh, and again, you'll have to help me out here since you were there longer than I was, and it's been about a year since I was there. But we did drive a lot, around a lot, and we did go see uh, like a volcano, Mount Aso. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, and then uh, the name escapes me. I guess one of the towns is basically built in the caldera of an ancient supervolcano, which was pretty amazing because we actually went up to the lip of the volcano, looking down into the city, and it's, yeah, it's yeah. tremendous, uh, tremendously huge. Wow. Yeah, that's that's Aso Shi. Um, oh, that's right. Aso yeah. City, which basically yeah, built it inside, inside Mount Aso. <laughs> yeah, and and you know the the scope is ridiculous. I mean, it's it's probably what ten twenty square miles. Something yeah, like. I've actually I've actually flown across it in a helicopter, and it's pretty uh, pretty amazing. Uh, good time. Yeah, we went up to the top of it, and when you actually are at the top looking down, you can actually see see that this this entire city is built inside of the caldera of a volcano. But when you're down inside of it, you really can't tell. Uh, getting back to the thing about the uh, castle town and how it's arranged, if we could. Sure. Because that, that sounds pretty cool. Um, sure. You know, it was it was actually really neat to see um, in Sakura this summer. Uh, a little bit more about that because I feel like you know we visit these castles and we see like just the castle itself mainly maybe um, and you don't necessarily get quite a sense of like okay well how did uh, how did the castle relate to the whole town and like where did people live Sakura claims and I, I don't know if you guys know different I, I'd be very curious to find out Sakura claims to have more intact Edo period samurai houses than any anywhere else in Japan and uh, anyway but just to kind of see a little bit where these houses were located and um, sort of the samurai of, of, of different ranks where they where they lived in relation to the castle was pretty neat. So um, I don't have the let's see if I have the stats. So I mean obviously the um, the people who were of the highest rank and had the most I don't know kokudaka lived either directly within the castle walls or, or pretty close nearby. But then the samurai houses that are actually extant today are just a little bit further away. Yeah, the houses that survive today are people who had a salary of 100 koku, 300 koku, or 1,000 koku. Koku being a measure of rice, being 
the way that salaries were calculated, right, in the Edo period. Um, the, the daimyo, by definition, had at least 10,000 koku, is that right? Yes, yes I believe I, so. I think so. I mean, the, the, the Hatsa clan, I'm sure, had a lot more, but in any case, a daimyo, by definition, had at least 10,000. So we're looking at samurai who were, you know, much lower ranking. They had 100 or, or 300 uh, koku. And um, anyway, I'm not quite sure exactly what else to say about it um, offhand, but it was just very interesting to see a little bit more of um, sort of exactly where in relationship to the Honmaru. There's not a lot to see at Sakura Castle in terms of the actual buildings have not been reconstructed, but they have a lot of signs all over all over the, the, the compound about exactly like, you know, oh, you know, here's where the highest ranking advisors to the, to the daimyo would have lived, and here's where the sort of slightly lower ranking uh, members would have lived and like that. The samurai houses themselves are pretty interesting because I think that, at least from my perspective, I don't, I don't know exactly what to compare it to, but at least from my perspective, they didn't seem all that elaborate. You know, you kind of expect that a samurai retainer being, you know, of higher class than a merchant or a peasant or an artisan would have had like a super nice house. But these feel like, uh, these feel like, "Quote unquote normal Japanese houses." I, I know that's a very vague term, but well, relatively speaking, they were probably better off than the lower ranking or the peasants. Well, I mean, I, I guess it's all just a matter of what you uh, of whether or not the comparisons are kind of valid. But like, I mean, I've seen farmhouses at like the uh, the Edo, uh, Edo Tokyo Architectural Museum. That's a farmhouse. I guess it's a relatively well-to-do family's house. I don't know, but this particular peasant family, their house is twice the size of this samurai family in Sakura, which maybe says something about the fact that they live in the rural area rather than in the city. There's a lot of factors, but in any case, um, you know, somebody of somebody with a hundred koku uh, to their name had about had a house of about thirty tsubo, which doesn't necessarily mean anything uh, directly to me, and certainly I'm sure it doesn't mean anything to most of our listeners. But um, you know, it's basically three or four rooms. You know, tatami rooms, sliding doors, nothing that stands out as fancy to me in any way. Thatched roof, no gold, no paintings, no, uh, uh, you know. So I just thought that was very, you know, we, we tend to see a lot of the real elaborate mansions, the castles, and maybe, maybe you get kind of the impression like, oh, well, maybe this is standard for the samurai class. But to kind of go around these houses in Sakura and see sort of the lower level ones is really Oh, so that's what most samurai probably, you know, lived in. Slightly more normal, quote unquote, I shouldn't say normal. Slightly more, you know, uh, uh, plain and smaller kind of houses. Um, not everybody could live in a castle, obviously. You know, also, I mean, I've seen machia, uh, this is a quote unquote townhouses in Kyoto, right? Merchants' houses. Uh, merchants' houses, tea houses, right? Geisha houses. And those, uh, you know, those are not any smaller or plainer or lower class. Than you know these guys who are official samurai retainers to a rather high-ranking daimyo. So anyway, that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I I don't remember where it was years ago, but uh, somewhere between Kyoto and Nara, I, uh, there were some samurai original samurai houses that were still around that I had I had looked around in, and uh, yeah, they 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 were they did remind me of uh, somewhat typical houses, although larger. And the the I remember the halls and the the rooms were set up in sort of a weird weird combination but yeah it was interesting yeah and um i mean i saw something similar one of the nice things about walking around naha and shuri this summer was really getting a sense of 
um, the layout of that city as well. And obviously it's Ryukyu, so it's kind of a, it's a whole separate set of, it's a whole separate story really from what's typical in Edo period Japan, right? From the samurai or whatever. Um, Ryukyu was based more on the Chinese model of the scholar bureaucrats and they had all kind of separate thing. But again, just to kind of see, uh, there's no houses standing, there's nothing left to see uh, of that, but just to kind of see the size of the plot that a really big name, you know, really high ranking uh, a scholar bureaucrat would have had and where these houses were located in, in relation to Shuri Palace and just get a feel for walking around the town today and, and realizing which parts used to be um, Used to be where the scholar bureaucrats lived, right? Where the where the officials of, of the government lived. Yeah. Which is all. I mean, it's all relatively within walking distance of the palace. Yeah, my uh, my trip. I don't think I really saw anything else historical. I probably did, but nothing really comes to mind. But a, a lot of what I did also involved Japanese food because that's like the the number one thing to do when you're there. Because I love Japanese food. And uh, <laughs> uh, when we were in uh, Tokyo. Uh, there was we ate at a place outside in the uh, Akasaka area, and uh, my wife's friends treated us to like a nine hundred dollar meal, and uh, that was the first time I ever had basashi or raw horse meat. Oh yeah, mm, which is yum. And we did. I think we did talk about this a little bit in Marky Star's. You know, when we talked to Marky Star in our previous yeah. podcast. But uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it was one of those things where I was at the table and they're like, "Hey, do you want to try some basashi?" And I was thinking in my head. I've never had it before. It'll probably be disgusting, but I have to try it. Just to say I ate a raw horse. And right. lo and behold, I tried it, and it was the best tasting meat I have ever had. It was it really? blew my mind. It was so good. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love it. I think I, I must it. have had I must have had bad basashi or something, because the one time I had it, it just tasted really plain, like it tasted like the soy sauce I dipped it in. I don't know when that's, I and that's my memory of basashi. Well, you know, to keep in mind, this was a very, very high-end restaurant that I was eating at, and it was yeah. very high quality. But uh, whereas I was eating it at a kaiten sushi place. <laughs> well, I mean, the you know this yeah, was that's that, sketchy. Yeah, well, no, at this particular place, it was like it, it was buttery and it melted in your mouth. It was amazing. Wow. And then when we went back to Kumamoto, of course, Kumamoto being the home of Bosashi, um, we you know we went out and bought a, a block of raw horse meat and uh, had had it for dinner when we were back, and uh, it was good. I. I you know, I would have never expected that that raw horse, which uh, for some reason horrifies people. But you know, it's it, it it just tastes amazing. I've never had cooked horse, so I really can't speak to that. But raw horse is amazing. Cooked horse is actually really good too, um, and it, it's great. Uh, Kumamoto, I mean, obviously is known for the raw uh, horse basashi, but um, they have a lot of play of like yakiniku places where you can get horse. And it's um it's it's quite good. Actually, one of my favorite snacks while I lived there was a, uh, um, a it was like came in these vacuum packed bags. It was it wasn't um it was like grilled chunks of horse meat, mm. and it was fantastic. And I would go through these things like it was candy until I had to like cut back because then I, I realized how much fat was in these things. But um, it was really good. Yeah, you know, yeah. I have to wonder if they, if I mean, I, I don't even know. Do they specifically have like horse farms where they breed horses specifically for eating, or are these just like work horses and race horses that, like, okay, time, you know, your your job is done. We're gonna eat you now. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know how they uh, how they do it, but uh, yeah, the uh the food in Japan was just you know it's it's just so much better. But uh, there was one place in Kumamoto that we went to, which I guess was sort of a 
like a like a tofu type place, and uh, we went in, and you know they bring out the food, uh, sort of a a course at a time, and you uh-huh. pay a flat fee and you get the course, and it's like every single piece of food is good, and then it's complemented by the next batch that comes out, and and so it's it, in in every case, it's it's like you said, it's a tofu place. So, well, I, I don't mean like tofu, like well, I mean it's it's a it's like a high end restaurant that right, 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 right. That the focus, I guess, is tofu. And it, it's like yeah, a little isolated. I'm trying, to, and, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of it because it was. Um, I know exactly where you're talking about. Yeah, it's got uh, you. You kind of walk it, it through was, a door. It was like a. It was like a five minute drive from my house. Yeah, and it was. It's like uh, it's it's sort of encased in trees, and it's it's yes. you go inside and eat. You have like yes. separate like you eat yes. separate private rooms yes. and all that. My, my yeah. wife and I love that place, and of course, most Americans listening to this will think a tofu restaurant. That oh, sounds it, it awful. Was, it was unbelievable. People don't understand that tofu in Japan and the, the, the garbage tofu you get here that they turn into, like, fake turkey are completely different things. Well, you know, the people also, some people who, you know, might also not realize that the Japanese actually know how to cook. You know, yes. Good, that, good that, food. But, that, that too. But, yeah, every, every single course basically builds on and complements the previous. And, it's, and, you know, in the end, you probably didn't eat all that much, but it, it just goes well, so well together that you're, 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 you're good. Yeah, I, I can't remember the name of the place either, but it was it was great, and uh, you know, of course, you know, I guess I guess we ate probably yeah, well, I would say we probably ate out every night at, at different places, but you know, right. the, the there's always just there's the regular izakaya, which the the fried you know the fried chicken is fried as in not fried, but I guess uh, what do you call it, the yakitori, you know all that. Right, right. It's great. Yeah, I mean, I can't even talk enough about the food. It's just the food in Japan is just amazing. Uh, we have it so we, we we don't even realize living in America how bad we have it. Oh. Yeah, the the since we're on the subject of food, I'll talk uh, about two things from my trip. One uh, is in Okazaki uh, is actually famous. I mean, the whole Aichi Nagoya area is famous for akamiso or red uh, miso. And if if you've had miso shiru or miso soup at a Japanese restaurant in the states, chances are what you've had is white miso. And probably not very good miso at that. In white miso, compared to red miso, red miso is much a thicker taste, and it's it's much uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how to translate koi. Um, it's uh, darker, richer, thicker. Richer, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's actually it 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 was an acquired taste for me um, when I first lived in Nagoya as a student. I, I didn't like it at first, but after but since I was living with a host family, uh, and that's what they made their miso soup out of, I, you know, felt, oh, I'm a guest. I have to choke it down. And within a month, I couldn't get enough of it. I thought it was the most wonderful thing ever. Yeah, I, um, I like it. It's, it's good. Yeah. So when I go other places in around Japan and, and I get, like, pure white miso, like, Kyushu's miso is awful because uh, it's just bland and has no taste in it. But anyway... Um, so Okazaki, the, the town I was studying Japanese in, is uh, famous for, if you've ever heard of Hacho Miso, yeah. which is a oh. particularly famous br- uh, type of red miso. Um, I, and what I – go ahead. Sorry. Is that is Hacho Miso famous in Nagoya or did I have something different in Nagoya? It, well, it's famous. They, they use it in Nagoya. But what I learned was um, to be officially called Hacho Miso – Mm. It has to be made in one of two f- miso factories oh. that are literally uh, – it, they're literally a two-minute walk from each other. 
in the same neighborhood in Okazaki. Oh, I feel like which, I had yeah, I feel like I yeah, had Jomiso soft serve ice cream at Nagoya Castle, if I remember you correctly. You probably did. You probably did because they like take it and then they they ship it everywhere. They bring and, it to, and, yeah. Yeah, they bring it to Nagoya. But it, I, I didn't realize, of course, you know, I love Hachomiso. I didn't realize that it had to be from one of these two. It's like bourbon, and you know, it has to be from Kentucky to be called bourbon. Otherwise, it's just right. whiskey. Right. Um, it's the same thing. If it's made elsewhere, then it's just red miso. But if it's if it's one of these two, and it's a it's a historical it goes back to the Edo period where this area of town was the hot was 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 Hacho, the eighth mm. ward. Because it went from in concentric circles out from Okazaki Castle, and this was the eighth circle that you got to, where these two factories were located. So because these two miso factories started there, and they started, they became famous for their miso. It became known as Hakcho Miso, because of, you know based on the location in the town. So it's it's interesting because you know I always loved Hakcho Miso and didn't didn't. Uh, know this so i was fascinated and of course the um i went to the factory and of course they've got you know the where they produce the miso um and you can tour that area but they've also got this museum where they have you know the you know the 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 diorama setups with mannequins of what it looked like back in the edo period and they actually shot a an nhk drama at this place which they wouldn't allow you to take pictures because nhk is mean like that but uh yeah i mean it was it was it was just really neat to see and then of course we had um at the end of our little tour they gave us hachomiso ice cream which was it sounds awful but is really kind of good yeah i mean the it's such a big thing in the area that there were actually places where they had a hachomiso beer like it huh. was beer made with miso sounds interesting um and yeah it was it was pretty good actually it was uh um, as my wife walks by, sticking her finger down her throat. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it was—it's—it's it's like drinking a dark, you know, dark flavored beer. It was really good. Mm. Uh, if you like that sort of beer, then you would like the Hacho Miso beer. Um, but yeah, it was—it was cool. So that was—that was—that's food thing number one. Food thing number two is just—it's you know you were you were talking about Basashi and uh, and uh, that it's like the thing in Kumamoto. When I went to Sendai. And everywhere in Sendai, Ishinomaki, and Matsushima is all about gyutang, which uh, is cow's tongue. I f- that's repulsive. I have had that, it's and I thought it was everywhere repulsive. you go. <laughs> it was horrendous. I, I just got it. It's terrible. <laughs> I actually don't I, mind it if it's cooked like yakiniku style, where it's sliced real thin. Ugh, I know. I, I I I actually I I had some in Ishinomaki, and it was fantastic. I really liked it. I'm but it's not something fence. that I would put on my normal list of things to eat, hmm. especially here in the states. Absolutely not. But. I'm I thought it was the fence so. with gyutan. I've, I mean, I grew up eating it in the sense of the Jewish deli sandwich version. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying it's my favorite choice. I would definitely take corned beef or pastrami over tongue. But <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've personally found it terrible. I, I've had it a few times, and I just can't stomach it. I don't know why. I just the flavor just is repulsive to me. But that's just me. I can see it. It. it I, 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 That's why I can do it well when it's thin because it's the texture for me because it's it's chewy. It's so chewy. 
if you if you eat a thick piece of it, then you're like, am I tasting it or is it tasting me? What's going on here? <laughs> but yeah, I, um, I had that experience this summer. It was it was kind of bad. It was kind of nasty. Yeah, yeah. But uh, um, yeah. So those are the, my two big culinary adventures, I guess, from this past uh, trip. What about you, Travis? Any any fun food? Uh, yeah. Um, I would say the main thing, I mean, I'm sure there were all kinds of foods that I had in Chiba and Tokyo that are kind of escaping me at the moment. But the main thing was just going to Okinawa for a week. Um, you know, if there's one thing that's like basically impossible to find in the States outside of Hawaii, it's Okinawan food. And um, so yeah, basically, I sp- yeah, I mean, even in New York, you know, you can you can go around New York, you can find, uh, you know, Balinese food and Peruvian food and but you cannot find Okinawan food. Um, so that was great. I went there expecting that everything was going to be made from pork and I wasn't going to be able to eat anything. And, um, you know, and just looking at those like whole pig heads and stuff, like I wanted to throw up. It's just, it's really <laughs> disgusting. It's like Chinatown but, here. Well, well, except that it's a lot cleaner and, and stuff than Chinatown. <laughs> Probably. Wow, we are going to offend people on this podcast. I'm sorry. Um, for those who like pork, go for it. I don't judge you. Um, for me personally, uh, but anyway, but I was really pleasantly su- surprised with how uh, how many like vegetarian options ended up being served to me. I was there with a bunch of professors, so I was in that sort of typical Japanese situation of like somebody orders for the whole table and you eat whatever they've decided to order. Right, right, right. And I was um, there were a lot of vegetarian options at every restaurant we went to, and they were really good. Um, I had all different kinds of like tofu champuru. Um, champudu being basically like a stir fry, kind of all mixed up stir fry. Um, fu champudu. Um, I'm never, I'm not quite clear still on what fu is exactly. I think it's like tempeh or seitan or some okay. byproduct so like some of the tofu of... making process. I'm not quite... right, right. Oh, you know what it is? I looked it up once. Sorry, it's it's wheat gluten. It's it's that gluten stuff. Wow, it's evil. You're eating a bowl of evil. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So anyway, if you buy um, into that, which it I was don't. Re- yeah, it was really good. And uh, other things like um, umi budo, which is uh, sea sea grapes. Yeah. Which is basically yes. just a kind of seaweed. Um, I've had yes, it before, and I, I. Yeah. No. There. I was just going to describe them there because they're like those little. They're like little balls of like juiciness mm. in seaweed form, and it's weird, but I love them. Yeah, I've had them before, and I wasn't too impressed, or I, I don't know, I don't really remember, but I had them again this time, and it was it was really good. I mean, you don't get that much sort of out of them. You'd have to eat, like, piles and piles of them to feel full. Right, um, right, right. But, you know, they're tasty. And, they're uh, good as a snack, or they're good, like, mixed-in stuff? Mm. Yeah. Or, I mean, they're good as, like, a side dish or an appetizer alongside sure, the rest sure. of your giant Okinawan meal. So, um yeah, and I, and I tried habushu for the first time. Ooh, I've always wanted to try that. I've never had a chance. Yeah, so habushu is in Okinawa. They have um, what's called awamori, which is it's what is it? It's a it's a distilled liquor, kind of like vodka, but made from rice. It's like Japanese shochu. Yeah, it's, but it's like shochu. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a it's a it's an Okinawan version of shochu. Right, um, and so they have awamori, but then habushu is basically they they take a viper, they take a, an Okinawan habu and stick it in the bottle of awamori. Um, and it's supposed to, and like in a lot of Southeast Asia also, where eating snake is supposed to like enhance your virility or masculinity or something. Um, 
anyway, long story short, that's what it is. And um, I tried it. It tasted just like awamori. Um, I don't know. It didn't tasted a, like didn't have a snaky taste to it. No, it tasted exactly the same. Tasted like burning. And uh, <laughs> you know, um, I'm glad it was free. Like burning. I like that. So, but you know, but it was it was cool to get to try it. And uh, so I guess that was sort of my main adventure with, with the cooking. But you know, and and I did kind of let slip and um, you know, kind of break my vegetarianism a little bit to to eat some of the uh, uh, Okinawa soba. You know, I didn't eat the charshu, the actual pork in it, but the pork broth, you know, is there. Um, and oh, it's so delicious! My God. I was debating, you know, after a week in Okinawa, like maybe I shouldn't be eating only Okinawan food every day, like eating the same things every day. But I figured, you know what, I'm only here for a week, and I'm, I don't know when I'm ever going to have this again. So I just absolutely, went. yeah, yep. So Okinawa soba and fu champuru and tofu champuru and things like that, uh, basically every day. And the one other thing that Okinawan cuisine that I'll mention is also um, uh, jimami dofu, which is uh, peanut tofu. Um, there's a yeah, there's a place in Honolulu that I used to go to that I, I love their jimami dofu, but um, I've never managed to find a good recipe for it. And um, I even looked around a whole bunch of bookstores in Okinawa this summer um, while I was looking for academic books or whatever. Um, also for cookbooks, and none of them had recipes for jimami dofu. So I don't know what's up with that, but um, I don't know. It was very interesting. Uh, that's like the one thing I wish I knew how to make. Uh, yeah, like we were just talking about there being like tofu specialty restaurants, and homemade tofu is a whole different creature from regular tofu, right? I mean, if you go to a restaurant that has that, so yeah, jimami tofu similarly has that very silky texture to it, and it tastes of peanuts, and it's really good. Hmm. Well, um, I, I think we're probably about at our time limit but you know before we wrap this up i do want to bring up another thing about japan that i i i noticed i've always noticed it but i never really thought about it until now is uh the the state of public restrooms in in japan i think uh i I think public restrooms tell you a lot about a culture and uh you know it i I guess let me put it this way uh in in the u.s the public restrooms will have like you know gangbangers will be carving their initials in the toilet seats and you know the mirrors will be broken and people will be basically pissing on the floors and you know just tremendous just various states of disrepair whereas in japan not only are there public restrooms there if you know anywhere in that country that you stand there's usually two public restrooms within 150 feet of you and they're not locked you don't need to get a key you know the vast majority of time and they're Spotless. They're they're flawless. There's no graffiti. There's nothing broken. No one's been carving their initials into anything. There, you could eat off the floor. And the last time I was there, I was I really paid attention. And you know, between Kyushu and Tokyo, you know, the whole trip up, nothing. Went to a restroom in a public park. It was flawless. It was spotless. The the restrooms on the bullet trains, in the buses, in the the, the mini marts or whatever they're called, uh, you know, everything. They're spotless. There's just nothing. They're, they're amazing. So, you know, then it's just real depressing when you, you go to a public restroom here and, you know, someone is pissed on the floor and they've carved, the toilet seats are carved up or missing and it's just ridiculous. So I, I have to take my hat off to Japan and say, in this respect, you're just better than us. <laughs> yeah. I'm... That's, <laughs> I, I just had to have my yeah. say. I, uh, it depends on where you're at. Um, 
Japanese public restrooms range from the ridiculously nice to the Inaka train station. Well, there's a hole in the ground, and I I can't figure out what else it's for, so it must be for that. Yeah, right. I mean, you do have the... So, the uh, yeah. Like, when I was in Nagasaki going to school, of course, in the in the uh, parks where they have the public restrooms, it's literally... Uh, you walk into a concrete structure, and there's a round, there's a hole in the floor. But, you know, like I said, at the same time, just regardless of, of whether it's a hole in the floor or a toilet seat or where it's located, nine times out of ten, it's it's in a far better state of repair and just overall uh, looks a lot better off than the ones that are that you'll find in the U.S. Sure. Although every now and then, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, if, every now and then you, you do find a bathroom in... Uh, in Japan that's just filthy. Like, not filthy as in, like, people wrote graffiti on it, but filthy as in, like, actually covered in, uh, let's say, feces and, and uh, it just vomit and, and just, like, horrible all over the place. Yeah. So, it, I mean... Well, it's look, probably you know, the, the, nope. the ancient cleaning ladies probably haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> they haven't gotten around to it yet, and I understand you can't be there every five seconds, and I mean, and they do an amazing it, job the rest it, of the time. It also, it also tends it does to happen. be, <laughs> yeah, it also tends to be more likely in areas with a high concentration of drunk sarimen. Yeah, right. So, there's that, you know. Yes. Public, uh, public parks at, uh, three in the morning, um, if you're ever in the situation where you need to use the, restroom in one of those uh i I would advise against it and trying to find somewhere else yeah no but but generally speaking i mean one thing that just always uh impresses me about japan and people ask me like oh why do you like japan or whatever and even putting aside all the culture and the history which of course i have a great interest in the fact that people sort of collectively respect one another's space or or, or i should say respect the, the public space and keep things clean and you know, behave in a clean way is just incredible. I'm uh, I was home in New York for just a couple weeks after Japan this summer, and I'm really I, I'm really amazed that the city bikes, the sort of publicly lent out bikes all over New York, which is a very new thing, that they haven't all been like completely trashed and smashed yet. Right. The, the New York subway was plotting. Um, plotting is the wrong word, as if they're scheming. They they were talking about putting putting up like interactive touchpad maps. So you could like, you know, find which station or whatever. And of course, everyone's immediate response was like, they're going to be filthy in two seconds because New Yorkers are filthy. Or they'll be destroyed. Or they'll be destroyed. And that just doesn't happen in Japan. And right. it's, it's wonderful. Like, to put it really, you know, to really summarize, this is why we can't have nice things. Well, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a case of, it's a case of, uh, like shame. And, and, uh, you know, it's like, I don't walk around out, you know, thinking from like the Japanese perspective. I don't walk around outside like wearing a, a, a ripped, t- dirty T-shirt and and ragged shoes because that's embarrassing. Whereas in the U.S., it's like I'll wear whatever the hell I want, whenever the hell I want. I don't care about you. I'm me, and I'm the best, and I can do whatever I want. And and I think that kind of difference in attitude makes such a just a huge difference. I mean, that's just the ba- yeah. I think it just comes down to that. It's kind of like uh, you know. Just, just shame. There's not enough shame in our in our society anymore. <laughs> but enough about that. I don't know. Have we have we covered everything? Like I said, my uh, I, I I spent time in. I was there. I was in Japan about a little over two weeks. I spent time in Kumamoto. I spent time in in Tokyo. Um, I, I was going to see uh, Joseph uh, in in Osaka, but we didn't really get a chance. Kind of busy, so wasn't able to stop over there. But uh, and right. 
you know, again, I'm trying to get him on the podcast, but we'll see uh, if and when that can happen. Um, he'll he'll have to Skype it at some point if we can. Uh, for anyone who doesn't remember, Joseph it was our resident uh, Joe Monyayoy expert who's currently working on a, uh, I guess he's in a master's slash PhD program at Osaka University. Off right. the top of my head, is that right? I think, I think so. Yeah. So at some point, hopefully we'll get him on here. But uh, anyway, I, I think uh, we sufficiently covered our, our respective trips to Japan and... You know, like I said, coming into it, uh, you know, we spent time in Japan. This is a Japanese history podcast. Uh, why not? So. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And uh, so I guess that's it for today. So uh, as always, we'll be back in about two weeks. But uh, in the meantime, and as always, uh, hey, if you're going to shop on Amazon.com, and you're going to do it anyway, if you go to SamuraiPodcast.com and click through our Amazon link, any purchases that you make will kick back a little bit, and, I, and when I say a little bit, I mean literally a little tiny bit, to the coffers of the Samurai Archives uh, to help maintain the podcast and everything else, because it doesn't come cheap, people, but uh, we do what we can to keep the lights on. So if you can, that would be great. Uh, also, you want to check out the Cafe Press t-shirt shop, which has t-shirts and other things, and also there's the Samurai Archives bookstore powered by the, uh, Amazon as well. But... Anyway, uh, also, if you are up for it, please go to iTunes and give us a favorable review. Or, if nothing else, give us a click on the five stars there. Uh, you know, that gives us exposure. It basically keeps us at the top of the heap for the Japan History Podcasts, of which there are very few anyway. So it's not a big feat for us, but we appreciate it anyway. So with that in mind, uh, this is Chris for Travis and Nate saying thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye. Mm-hmm. Later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.